With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mr. Perfect did it again in Barcelona to take his second consecutive victory in the Spanish Grand Prix. The man who won his first Grand Prix here in 2016 has swept them all away once again. Round the final corner for the final time, the Dutch driver will see the chequered flag first and it's win number 40 in Formula One for Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen wins the Spanish Grand Prix to win three in a row, lead every lap and dominate proceedings. Very well done, Max. A beautifully controlled race. You're now 53 points ahead of your teammate in the World Championship. You were fastest in FP1, FP2, FP3 qualifying here. Just how sweet is this period for you? It's a good period, but you know we have to keep on working and, and trying to find more performance. I'm happy in the car, and I think the last few race weekends have been uh, definitely a lot more positive for me. But, um, you know, this is one weekend where I think it went really well, but we also know that maybe some other tracks, it's not like this, you know. So, still um, a lot of races to come where we, uh, again, have to uh, perform really well to, to try and win the race. Quite a lot was made on the TV of you getting the black and white flag for track limits. Uh, I think it was turns five and ten. Can you just talk us through what was going on there? It happens sometimes. I mean, some tracks... Uh, it's a bit easier to do and um, I was struggling a little bit uh, with the harder tires to keep it within the white lines. They don't know how much pace I have in the car, right? When they tell me, oh, this, this is the fastest lap, don't bother. But I knew that I could do it. So, um, yeah, just had to keep it within the white lines. But this is something I think we can um, laugh about already. I mean, I was laughing about it with Helmut after the race, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, they're quite happy. Welcome, everyone, to F1 Nation. And joining me, Tom Clarkson, to debrief all things in Spain, we have Jesus Balsero from Diaria AS and Christian Maynat from motorsportmagazine.com. Guys, thank you very much for joining us on F1 Nation. Was that the most dominant performance we've seen from Max Verstappen this year? Jesus. I would say yes, especially because he, he could have missed one stop probably and still have win the race with a decent gap over the Mercedes. And and the fact is that the, is the Mercedes the second car here? That's the difference. So maybe we miss the Aston. We obviously miss the Ferrari there. So maybe that's the reason why the gap seems bigger now. Maybe Mercedes is the same place as, as the last race, but the others are not, and Max is alone by, by himself and, and winning so comfortable here in Spain. Christian, what I love about Max Verstappen is his champion's mentality, right? He dominated that race. Once he dealt with Carlos Sainz at the start, that was it. Done. Yet, he still was pushing it. You know, those track limits, transgressions, the, the desire to get fastest lap. He's unstoppable in that way. Yeah, that's Max as we know him. I mean, he's been like that since his first day in Formula One. And yeah, as you say, that's the, that's the champion mentality. Not every driver is probably like that, but yeah, the champions, they are. 
does he have any weaknesses? I haven't thought about it for quite a while. I mean, in the title battle with Lewis in 2021, you could say that sometimes he was a bit over-aggressive, but now he doesn't have so many battles on track, so it's difficult to judge nowadays. But I think also his, his risk assessment is, is amazing. When you saw the start against Sainz, he, on, he was on the medium tyre, Sainz on the soft tyre. He knew it's going to be important to still have the lead. I mean, whatever would have happened, he would still have won the race, um, even if he would have been fifth, sixth, seventh, probably last after the first lap. But also he took the risk. He didn't take too much risk. He knows he has much more to lose than the others. So it's difficult to say if there is still a weakness because at the moment he doesn't need to show everything. Yeah, after the race, Jesus, he was saying, I really want these guys to come. He was looking at the Mercedes drivers. I really want them to come and fight me. I want the battle. He may feel lonely, maybe. <laughs> yeah. when, when his problems are, okay, I'm doing the fastest lap or not. Am I taking too much risk over the white lines? Of course, his race is lonely compared to Mercedes, compared to Carlos today. And I'm sure he, he will prefer winning against some of the drivers like he used to do last year. Because last year he won in a, in a dominant way, but Ferrari was always there. Even sometimes Mercedes, is, it's a shame that this year he's not finding any opponent and not even his teammate because of these two mistakes in Monaco and, and Barcelona. Two mistakes in a row, which maybe have turned the championship for Max in a huge way compared to what we expected in the first part of the season. Well, Helmut Marco said coming into this race that he thought Max didn't consider Sergio Perez a title rival at any point anyway. So he, he, he needs that challenge from outside, doesn't he? Yes, and but this last two Grand Prix proved that. that. Maybe at the first part of the season with the two street track that Checo won, we were kind of hoping that he maintained the, the, the fight, but the big difference between the two Red Bull drivers is consistency. And that's the key to fight for a world title. And that's what Max has because of his year, past years fighting with Luis. And I don't think Checo is that kind of driver to fight, and especially not against Max. And what is worrying, I feel, about Perez's title plight this year is that he talked this weekend about changing his driving style coming into this race, maybe trying to drive the car a little bit more like Max, which worries me, Christian, because I feel that at this level it has to be instinctive, it has to be natural. And if you start trying to force a particular style on a driver, it never, it never really ends, ends well. I think you're right. The only reason why you would do that is because your specific driving style doesn't suit the car. I think it's a sign that he's desperate to find this little bit or this well, bit, little bit bigger bit uh, that's still missing to Max. But yeah, I think it also shows that it's not only the Red Bull that is so supreme. It's Red Bull and Max Verstappen and we shouldn't consider it as boring and shouldn't blame Max and Red Bull. We should just try to enjoy to witness this driver in this car because if you look back in Formula One history in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years time, you will remember it as, as Michael in the Ferrari days, Lewis in the Mercedes days, and you just have to appreciate what this combination is doing and look back at the qualifying in Monaco, what he did in the last sector. That's, that was so epic. That was unbelievable just to watch. And I get goosebumps when, when I talk about it because we should just be happy that we can witness something like that. Enjoy perfection. It's, it's yeah. the Tiger Woods era when Tiger was winning everything in the 90s in golf. It's 
man city in the uk at the minute in in football isn't it and the uh, good thing is now having sergio in the other car he's a a known driver in the paddock he's won a race with another team and checo has proved in the past that he's good enough but max is just even better than that and that's so fascinating to see for me there's so much pressure that max puts on his teammates isn't it in that you You often see the teammates start strong at the start of the year. They've spent the winter away from Max. They've become energized. They've thought about a plan of how they're going to beat him. And, and it often starts well. And then the grind of the season gets going and they get worn away just by the relentlessness of Max Verstappen. Yeah, every winter the same. You, and you could speak with Checo in Bahrain and... He looks like, yeah, but we work over the winter with my engineers and now we know how we can push and whatever. But but it's a perfect machine. But it's not only the car, it's not only the driver, it's also a perfect team. I don't I don't remember any mistake from Red Bull, any big mistake during the season. And and on Max's side, if he's just driving perfect, he's making the biggest difference between teammates. We cannot say that Checo's season is bad. He's, he's second there. He would be first if Max wasn't here. But... He's making like the biggest, biggest gap. I, I don't see any other team with that such a difference. Maybe only Aston Martin with with Fernando and Lance. Lewis Hamilton comes round the final corner for his 11th podium finish at this circuit, and again it's a happy hunting ground for him. P2 on the road, a little punch of the air, and that will be completed with a superb performance for Mercedes. That upgrade working well today. Russell climbs nine places to the podium positions. Mega job, guys. Mega job. Thank you so much for everyone back at the factory continuing to push. Mega job to George as well. Awesome drive. Nicely done from P12. This sport's a bit more fun when the car's fast, eh? I saw for the second time this year Adrian Newey spending a long time on the grid looking at the Mercedes, of course. Uh, it's the second race this year that they've had the upgrades. They brought them to Monaco, but this was the first permanent racetrack in which they could really analyse them. And bam, second and third. What was your take on the upgrades that Mercedes brought here? Well, I'm, I'm not an engineer, but there's obviously something going on there when Ferrari is not able to catch up at all and Aston Martin looks kind of steady but not progressing through the field they are equal far as as the first race of the season but yeah the Mercedes has made the biggest step over this year they found something and I, I think that Aston especially Aston because Ferrari is in, in another step behind but Aston should be worried now because this Mercedes is able to fight for more than podiums now Mercedes have overtaken Aston Martin in the Constructors' Championship. But all you Mercedes fans out there, Christian, we shouldn't get too excited yet. Remember, when we were here one year ago, exactly one year ago, I think Lewis had this uh, little Puncher. contact uh, yeah. in, uh, in the first lap with Kevin and um, was last and wanted to already withdraw from the race. And um, then he, he kept going and at some point he was... I'm not sure if it's really true, but Mercedes said he was the fastest guy on, on, on the circuit. It's always difficult to say that because different tyres and so on. But they were really, really strong here last year as well. And I'm not 100% sure. I'm, I'm sure they, they made a step with, with, the, with the package they brought to, to Monaco where you just couldn't see how much it, it's, it's worth. Now, here's a, really, a real test track, but still it suited Mercedes last year as well. And Mercedes is in danger to do 
the same mistake as last year. Remember, you remember when they won the race in Sao Paulo? They thought, yeah, we're going to make this concept work. But in Sao Paulo, there were circumstances like it was a sprint weekend. Red Bull just got it wrong under park Fermi conditions. And I'm pretty sure I don't have to tell them. They know it a lot better than I do. But we should be probably a bit more cautious on on lessons learned from, from this race. Even if we always say Barcelona is such a fantastic test track and if it's good here, it's good everywhere. But sometimes a track, in my opinion, can be too perfect because then they have the environment they have in the wind tunnel, they have in the simulator and everywhere, but not every track is like that. But And is it still a good racetrack? Because for the first time since 2006, we had the fast last two corners wonderful to watch on the in car that turn 14 taken at 165 miles an hour in qualifying almost flat but not quite without that last chicane there isn't really a slow corner on this racetrack anymore so is it a good test track for the aerodynamicists definitely so um, a lot of fast corners long cornering I still think it's a pretty good one. Then you have turn five, which is a, which is a slow one. So you still have almost every type of corner. Then you have so much data from the past, even if the layout changed slightly, you still have quite a lot of data, sector one, sector two. So I think they can learn quite a lot from here. But I agree with you, the last the last turn is, is just amazing, or the last sector now. I just don't get the reason why they changed turn 10 a few years ago, because there you had a really good overtaking spot as well. I can't help about this track because, of course, I like it. Uh, it's, it's our track or our best track in Spain. It obviously has some spots that could help and are not helping. Overtaking is not possible or maybe it's too easy at the straight, especially with this DRS effect. Turn 10 used to be good, then it changed uh, more than 10 years ago and it, it was good enough. It was an overtaking point because it was a big break-in. It's not anymore. Maybe they mix the MotoGP and F1 track and the mix is not good enough. But now they took a, a right decision of, of getting rid of the chicane. Now the third sector looks amazing. It's true that it's not a slow sector anymore like it used to be. Everybody was looking into the third sector here to think about Monaco and now it's nothing comparable. I went to the third sector on free practice and it's amazing. The, the way the cars enter the last corner is so fast, so impressive. But it's a shame that the race hasn't been as fun as everybody, as, as the well, huge crowd Well, expected. well, well, Jesus, I'd say there was more overtaking in this Spanish Grand Prix than I think there have been in many Spanish Grand Prix. Obviously, as you say, helped by the DRS, but we saw some really good overtakes. Of course, it got quite spicy at the start, first between Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen. I thought Carlos really pushed him hard into turn one and then Lewis Hamilton gets hit from behind by Lando Norris and then George Russell did a a great overtake in the race on Carlos as well and there was just I thought there was a good spread of overtaking so they've got the balance right the DRS was the right length and I think they could follow through that fast final corner because these new regulations generate so much of their downforce underneath the car so well done (laughs) to Formula One and to the Circuit de Catalunya, because I thought that was the, a, a really as good a race as we're going to get around here. Also, it was probably helped early doors because we had the Red Bulls on, on the medium tyre and the bulk of the field on the soft tyre. So you had Checo Perez coming through 
but maybe not at the rate I was expecting. Yeah, maybe you... you Am I now contradicting myself, saying, yeah, there's great overtaking, but Checo, Checo couldn't actually make his way maybe through. Maybe you see myself disappointed, but uh, it's because of the Spanish drivers who are coming here with higher expectations, maybe with a podium. They have, haven't been on a Spanish podium for a long time, since last win from Fernando in 2013. And suddenly, you, you, you said the start was amazing, and I thought Carlos could get over Max, especially because of the slipstream effect. The starting is is so far from the breaking point, so maybe an overtaking wasn't impossible. But Carlos is 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 not a dirty driver. He left the space, and it was impossible to overtake a great start from Max. And then Fernando's race maybe wasn't the the best of the season from Aston, not from himself the weekend. So it's a shame. But you're right. There were some good moves from behind. Maybe not for the top three guys, but after behind them, yes. Come on then, Jesus. Let's have our Spanish section very briefly. The circuit was a sellout. It looked fantastic. What was it? Three hundred thousand people. Yes, and over one, the weekend, one hundred twenty-five just on Sunday. How much excitement was there during the build-up? How many pages of Diaria AS did you have to write about Formula One? A lot, a lot. More than three every day, and and especially you feel the hype the moment you go to the behind the grandstands and you you see the faces people speaks to you about formula one and i'm impressed because they know about formula one more than me and, and that doesn't put me in a good situation <laughs> i don't believe but that. i'm really surprised how the new era formula one fans are so into the sport that they get so deep into every piece you write and they know everything happening they know about strategies they know about team principals they know every driver this wasn't like this in the past it's really amazing are we back at the sort of mid 2000s level of passion for formula one in spain i would say it's different because that time it was fernando's fans they knew about fernando they wanted fernando to win all the time but i'm not sure they weren't that into formula one itself into the sport now the people like the sport, they like Fernando, they like Carlos, but they like Charles Leclerc and they like Lando and they recognize Max and, and Luis and, and even Esteban, which wasn't the favorite driver here because he was teammate with, with Fernando last year and there were some classes around. But I, I'm really surprised how the Spanish fans, I, I can think it's, it, it's happening everywhere now, not only in Spain, but they like Formula One. And they also like the Spanish drivers, but, but the sport is, is getting huge here. It's becoming the second most popular sport just behind football. And, and this, through two, three years ago, seemed impossible. It's been a fascinating growth. And there's now talk of a race in Madrid. Stefano Domenicali has confirmed this weekend that, that, that it is a real bid. Do you think... Spain could support two Grand Prix. I don't know whether Stefano wants that, but do you think there is the appetite here if Stefano allowed it for there to be a, a Barcelona race and a Madrid race? I spoke to Stefano about that last last Friday. He, he told to me that it doesn't look possible, but it, it cannot... Maybe it could happen, maybe 2026, I don't know. But yes, the Madrid project is there. It looks promising. It's... Maybe it's a different kind of race, more like the Miami-style race or Mexico-style race and not all track style like Barcelona. I'm from Madrid, so I'm not partial here. You want to stay at home, don't you? I, I would <laughs> love to ha having a home Grand Prix for once. <laughs> but I, I'm not partial. I would, of course, I would love Madrid having a race and it looks good. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Lewis, coming to you, very well done as well. Your 11th podium here in Barcelona. How sweet was this podium? This one was very special. I think we got a great reception from, from the crowd here and... Yeah, to be able to share the podium with my teammate, I think it's it's really special given the, just the journey that we've been on together to try and close the gaps to the guys ahead. This is a really amazing um, day for us. Now, everyone's talking about the upgrades. How did the car feel to drive over a race distance? Car felt great today. Um, Friday was a real struggle with the, the balance. It was way out the window. It was um, very, very hard to drive very unpredictable and then we did some great work overnight which helped us get on the right track on saturday and um i think we did pretty decent work in trying to understand the different downforce levels and um the race today the car felt great honestly it's just i couldn't match the times that these that uh, that max was doing but um definitely the best the car's been for the past uh, year and a half so that's you know super encouraging i think not only for me but for everybody in the team uh, this would be a big boost for everybody's morale and um, you know and for George to come from 12th to 3rd is just remarkable so really awesome result for us as a team great result as a team but the team was quick here at this race last year as well so is it too early to draw too many conclusions yep <laughs> <laughs> I mean norm- they normally say if you're quick in, in Barcelona then uh, car should be generally good everywhere but um I think I think we will be strong in the next next races. There will be times where the Aston maybe is slightly ahead or the, the Ferrari maybe is ahead, but I think our race pace continues to be a strength of ours uh, as it was last year. And now we would, I think this weekend particularly, we've understood the car even more. So I think we can um, count on, on that being strong moving forwards. we just got to try and lift the whole overall performance of the car a little bit more to try and close the gap to these guys. Can we just have a few more words from you Christian about the performance of Mercedes this weekend because I want to know you've already said let's not get too excited but did you see anything in that upgrade that makes you think that this car will be more consistent over the balance of the season what is a concept you've heard that question from the Mercedes uh, engineers quite a lot I think now they they have side pods and for me this is a concept we were talking to Andrea Stella this morning and he was talking about side pods and why these wide side pods work better with this generation of cars and bring the best out of the floor because everyone is talking about the floor, that the floor is the big performance differentiator because 40% of the total downforce are generated by the floor. Yeah, but the floor has to work and it doesn't work in isolation. So Formula One car, you always have to look in in every single aspect, from the front wing to the rear wing and also from the side pods, in my opinion. Toto said they just wanted to take out something of the equation. He's still not convinced that the concept of the side pods is the better one. They just wanted to take something out of the equation to be sure where the problem is. But I think that was part of the problem. For me, it's it's definitely the right direction, but 
who am I to judge um, 1,000 engineers in, uh, in Brackley? Well, you, you are a, an engineer by training. on you. Didn't you read engineering at university? Yeah, but then I stopped because I started with Motorsport magazine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I did a lot of Formula Student and that was amazing. I think one thing that really helps Mercedes is the consistency of their two drivers. Okay, George Russell struggled a little bit in, in qualifying and in practice, but it, it came together for him in the race. But I'm actually looking on a macro level from, you know, over a whole season, they're very consistent. And, and actually, the reason Mercedes are ahead of Aston Martin in the Constructors' Championship now is purely, I think, because Mercedes have got two cracking drivers who are very consistent, whereas Lance Strollers struggled at certain races this year in the second Aston Martin, so they haven't been getting the double points finishes that Mercedes have. Fully agree with that. Um, if Aston Martin would have two drivers from the caliber of Fernando Alonso, they would definitely be second in the Constructors' Championship. and. That's going to be a, a really interesting talking point, I think, in the next month. Okay, after this race, probably not so much because I think Lance did a really good job this weekend. Fernando didn't do his best job this weekend. He, he admitted it and he was really angry with himself after qualifying. He said he thought about it last night and he wanted to turn back the time and do the, the last Q3 lap once again. And that shows how that he has the championship mentality as well. That's going to be interesting in the next few months and uh, for the future. It's such an interesting dynamic between the teammates as well in the way that Fernando came on the radio late in the race to say, don't worry, Lance, I'm not going to overtake you. I don't know whether that was a coded message to say, actually, let me through. But even at Mercedes, you had that really bizarre accident, if we can call it that, in qualifying where they tripped over each other and Lewis lost his front wing. So even the best teammates can get it wrong. Toto was asked yesterday after the qualifying if it reminded him of 2016, Rosberg versus Hamilton, but he said no, no shades of 2016. Um, and I fully agree with Toto. So there was nothing between the teammates. It was just miscommunication what they said. There was coincidence because um, George had to abort his first lap. Then they were somehow synced in their outlaps. Lewis and George, that shouldn't have been the case. Then um, Carlos came from behind. Uh, George had to let him pass, was very slow. Lewis already started his lap when George started his lap a bit later. So there was just coincidence, miscommunication, but in my opinion, nothing that says something about the relationship between two drivers. It was bad luck, miscommunication, and yeah. But not worth to make up a huge story between. Lewis and George. Now, we keep flip-flopping between Mercedes and Aston Martin, so let's go back to Aston now. So, Fernando Alonso goes into the gravel in Quali. At the start of Q1, really badly damages his floor. That compromises the rest of his qualifying. If he hadn't done that, Jesus, what do you think might have been possible from him? Well, he, he was pointing into the, the first row. He, he says that. He thinks that that without the mistake, without the damage on the on the floor, he would be fighting for maybe second place, third place. And the race, even without the pace, even with this Aston Martin pace from Barcelona, which isn't brilliant, the race would have been different. Maybe fighting for the podium, for the last spot on the podium or, or fourth place, it look it would look a lot different. I, I asked Fernando right when he jumped out of the car today, and he, he said that 
he's not worried about Mercedes. He thinks that this is a track thing, just like you said. This is this is Mercedes track. It, it has been in the past, and actually his words were, "In Canada, we will crush them." So, <laughs> I'm I'm. I, I love I, his fighting spirit. This is Fernando every day. So uh, we will crush them in Canada. They've got some upgrades coming for Canada, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, that, that's the point. He thinks that with the upgrades they will bring in Canada and and the following race, that he expects Aston not to slow down in this fight. But also, it's fair to say that this fight, Aston Mercedes, in a way. Mercedes is up there because they have two strong drivers, but also I don't know how much Fernando is pushing the Aston up. Uh, maybe the Aston Martin is below Mercedes in a regular on a regular basis, but but this Fernando with his five podiums in seven races, who is maybe putting the the car a step uh, above its real place. Do you think he's concerned about the longer term? Because okay, we're talking about Mercedes now, but of we're going to come on to Ferrari in a minute and then there's Alpine who have taken a step forward. Do you think he's concerned about that middle order now catching up with him? Yeah, well, the, this mid, middle son of the grid is very complicated. Every team who falls down there, it can get messy in every race weekend. You are fighting for fifth place, but maybe for tenth place and there are no good points to, to find them there. But I think the Aston Martin is still one of the strongest cars here and probably the, the more steady one, the one who can be on a, on a similar performance at every track of the, of the calendar. So I, I don't think this can be a one-off. They have been fighting for podiums for the first third of the season and it should be like this in the second third in the European season. What about Russell though? He gets second. He needed it from the drop zone to P2 and it drops in Charles Leclerc to the drop zone. Charles Leclerc, 19th on the grid in an enormous shock. We are out, right? Yes, we are out. Unbelievable. So Ferrari, we talk about the Mercedes upgrades. They came to Monaco, but this is the first chance we've really seen them. Ferrari have brought a lot of upgrades here and yet their fastest qualifier qualified p19 and had to start from the pit lane explain that christian <laughs> ferrari cannot even explain it themselves i mean um, charles said he had quite a lot of problems in uh, left-hand corners did they discover that something was wrong with the car i know they changed the gearbox and the whole rear end but did they actually discover a problem on his car the problem is that it's under park firming conditions so they weren't allowed to work on the car during the night so they didn't have the time to do a proper analysis here at the, at the track so that's why they changed the whole rear end because then you take out a lot of elements Can I interrupt out of the you? equation yeah, if you're a team and you've had the new bits on the car and the guy who is recognized as your fastest driver over one lap has had such a horrible time. Why wouldn't you just break the Park Ferme rules to find out what's wrong? In the end, they, they broke the Park Ferme rules as well. <laughs> yeah, they did it anyway. Yeah. So Yeah, but I mean, they sorted it out. Charles said it was a completely different feeling today. So the problems he had yesterday were not there anymore. And then they have the time to analyze it properly in the, in the factory. So I think... That's okay, and that has nothing to do probably with the upgrade. That's, I don't know if, if there was a, a crack in the in the gearbox casing, so he didn't have the, the strength and then the in the rear suspension, or whatever. Those cars, those rear ends are so complicated. So I understand 
that they want to do a proper analysis back in the factory. What were the drivers saying about the performance of the car? I mean, let's talk about Carlos, who had a much better Saturday. Yeah, but the Saturday was never the problem of the Ferrari. Uh, so during the race, it was like most of us would have expected it. They were not great, like the whole second half of last year. And we were all asking the questions, the question why, and Ferrari cannot answer it themselves. And so I've just attended Fred Vasseur's media session after the race, and he said exactly the same as the driver said, they have inconsistency. At some stints during the race, the car worked pretty okay. At some, it just didn't. There is no pattern they can see, nothing with a medium tire or hard tire, whatever, pretty similar to what they had in, in Miami. And they just don't know where this inconsistency is coming from. And that's for me the biggest problem because if you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where you should work on. So uh, that's, that's really sad to see. Right. But strategically, I felt there were still more errors today unless it was driven by these inconsistencies. But it, if you're starting Charles Leclerc from the pit lane on the hard tyre, why do you pit him after 17 laps? Unless there, um, unless there was a problem with yeah, the inconsistency, yeah, maybe. But. I mean, the hard tyre seemed like it didn't work too well today. If, if you look at uh, the Red Bulls as well, Max was complaining about the hard tyre quite a lot. So probably because it was not, not really warm today, pretty cloudy, track temperature was very low, a lot lower than, than on Friday, for example. So I think the hard tyre wasn't probably not the best one today. They realized it. They thought, okay, we have to get rid of it. And then, yeah, but I mean, for, for Charles, the race was already done because they was don't... Was it a test session for Charles? Probably because they don't have the performance advantage. And even with the performance advantage for, of Red Bull, um, you thought you, you were touching on this earlier that you expected um, Checo to get through the field a bit, bit faster. Um, but still with their pace advantage, it was not that easy. And then the Ferrari... A lot slower in the race coming even from the pit lane and not even in the, in the midfield so it was a bit expected what about carlos jesus have you spoken to him yep. since the race you know starts his home grand prix on the front row goes wheel to wheel with max verstappen through turns one and two yet finishes the grand prix fifth in a way for him is frustrating and it's, it's painful because he wants to shine in front of his crowd and he's a starting in a nice place to fight for, for even for, for a win. It should be a place to fight for a win, the second place. But then he's racing backwards and he's losing places and losing places and he feels frustrating that he cannot even fight because the moment he, he pushes for two laps, maybe he tries to defend from, from a Mercedes, from, from George, he, he blocks or he goes to the dirty side of the, of the track, then he will, he know he will, the tires will, will overheat and he will lose maybe another two, three, four seconds and the pace won't be there and he won't recover. So, you know, he's thinking too many things inside the car, but none of them are pointing into attacking or trying to, to get a good result here. He's just, his words are, this car doesn't al allow the driver to shine at all because you do it right on Saturday and, and it looks like you are going to fight for something, but then on the race, there's nothing else to do. And he was complaining about the strategy, as he was in Monaco last week as well. Well, but he was pointing more on to the inconsistency of the car, because the first thing, it was decent, he wasn't too far. But then the second thing is, is a disaster, he loses like two places, then the, the last, the, the place with Checo, he loses on the, 
on the last steam, but anyway, at the second steam, the two Mercedes come, one of the Mercedes was coming from the 12th place on the grid, so it doesn't look like the two cars are playing on the same league right now. Looking at the positives, will Carlos be pleased to hear that Lewis Hamilton is going to sit down this week with Toto Wolff to discuss his new Mercedes contract and actually all of the Ferrari stuff was just noise? I guess yes. I mean, nobody likes rumours. How did he deal with those rumours? I assume you, you spoke to him about the, yeah. the Lewis to Ferrari stuff. Yeah, he, he takes it easy. He's used to Formula One. He hasn't been on both sides. He, he has lost uh, a seat on, on Renault too with Ricciardo. So he knows ho- how Formula One goes, but he was he seemed comfortable all the time during these last, last weeks. From the first time, it looked like Luis is just negotiating, negotiating with Mercedes, and this was maybe part of the negotiation. But it's good that this is coming to an end, and and it's also good that Carlos is is proving on track that he deserves the place he is. Because we we shouldn't forget, we all know that that Charles is a superb driver, one lap uh, race pace, and Carlos, for one reason or another, he was doing well here in Barcelona. He was doing better than Charles, and he is in front in the championship. It's a bad season for the two of them, but, but Carlos isn't doing anything anything wrong. I felt Carlos was really lifted by the home crowd here. Yes, yes. There was an energy about him that isn't always he, evident. He may look like not the... He doesn't speak too much, and but he gets emotional. Of course, you get emotional when you are on the on the on your home track. This is our home track in Spain. Formula One has been here for 33 times, which is a funny number. And and of course, Carlos. I think that maybe on Saturday that that last tenth was coming from the crowd here to be second on the grid. Let's move things on to Alpine. Two cars in the points today, Ocon in eighth and Gasly coming home ninth. But let's give this some context, Christian. We've already mentioned on this pod about that final sector from Max Verstappen in Monaco, but I'm going to put it to you. As much as we all enjoyed that Verstappen qualifying lap and the Alonso effort for that matter and the Charles Leclerc effort, God, it was good, wasn't it? It was only seven days ago. But... Esteban Ocon's qualifying lap in Monaco was stunning. And I think he came here riding the crest of a wave. And we were all looking to see if Alpine could reproduce that form on a very different, much faster racetrack. What is the conclusion that we've drawn about the pace of the Alpine? I mean, that it's, it won't be a, a complete repeat of Monaco was, was clear because in Monaco the driver can do a lot more. But... You have to say, with this generation of cars and with the teams that are pretty close to each other, the cars are pretty close to each other, the driver is a bigger factor again in Formula 1. I think that's good, but coming back to your point, the Alpine, they had a huge upgrade. It was Monaco. When they introduced the new side pods, they look a bit similar to, to the Aston Martin side pods. They were the first time to have this this little slide in the side pod. Now they have the huge one as, as the Aston Martin. And... It seems like it's it's working pretty well. But uh, to be completely honest, I expected more from Alpine from the beginning of the season because they were pretty confident going into the season and they were pretty far off. Now they are where I expected them to be at the beginning of the season. You talk about the upgrades. Do you think the mirrors 
are quite difficult to see out of because Pierre Gasly had a few issues in qualifying with the mirrors, first with Sainz, then Verstappen. Do you think he deserved a six-place grid drop for that? Well, if the stewards say. <laughs> it must it be is like what that. it is. I, yeah. I mean, the good thing is that the decisions are very well written. So they said in one occasion he was to blame for it because he got the, the instructions from the team and in the other case it was the other way around. The team just didn't give him the, the right instructions. So um, viewing it from, from the TV angle, it was pretty obvious um, that he didn't go out of the way. That's the rules. Plus three. He did it twice. So bad luck, bad management from the team and from him. Esteban, such an amazing weekend in Monaco. You come here and you finish eighth. What is the feeling right now? The feeling is still good. Um, I think it's been, you know, two excellent weeks, um, you know, for us. I mean, we've scored 19 points um, on my side in uh, in two races and some more with Pierre. So, you know, it's been a very productive uh, two weeks. Obviously, yes, we come from a podium. So to finish eighth, you know, there's a bit of mixed feeling, but. Uh, you know, in general, um, I think it has been super positive and, and we're super excited in the team that the updates that we bring have worked. But we still have work to do uh, in the race. Qualifying has been uh, very strong uh, on, on two occasions here and in Monaco since we bring the update and uh, this we can be proud of. So do you think you've got some consistency now for the rest of the season? We have consistency, hopefully, in qualifying. I mean, we've come from, you know, two weekends when we've been fast in qualifying. Um, but in the race, as I said, you know, we, we are back to more how we were before and that's where the focus needs to go. There's such an upbeat feeling about you and actually I see that Michel's just got your trophy from Monaco here as well. Is that he good? has and you're carrying I'm my carrying, Monaco helmet. I'm carrying your Monaco. God, I mustn't drop it. <laughs> no, don't drop it, please. Don't drop Hang it. Um, look, thank you very much. Look, well done this weekend. Thank you very much, Tom. All right, see you soon. I need to give you your helmet yes. back. Please. Thank you. Good to hear from, from Esteban. It's obviously a strength from the car now but I don't want to take responsible from the driver. Uh, what he did in Monaco is just superb. He, he could even have a pole in Monaco, which is amazing for any driver, more when you're doing with a slower car. Good to say that Alpine is going further in the grid, but I think Esteban is one of the best drivers out there right now. Do you claim him as one of your own? Well, Because his dad's Spanish. In fact, I think his a lot name of his is Spanish. Okay. My grandfather used to be called Esteban, so <laughs> it's a very true. Spanish name. <laughs> I think a lot of his family live quite near the track yes, here in Barcelona. Barcelona. Yes, that's true. So when he's doing well and you thought he had pole in Monaco, you were ready to claim him? I couldn't because he used to be Fernando's teammate and that didn't end well <laughs> with the, with the, with well, the actually, in Brazil. Well, actually, Jesus, let's talk about today. Uh, on the TV pitches, when... Fernando came to overtake Esteban in the race. It looked quite an aggressive defence from Esteban, at least on the head-on shot. But Alonso was very relaxed about it after the race. Um, yeah. and, and drivers have to defend. I mean, you don't have to go over the limit, but I think Esteban is a, is a very aggressive driver. But he doesn't go too often over the limit, so I like the overtaking. Maybe some other times overtaking gets too easy in, in this track at the end of the straight, but th that wasn't easy at all, and that, that's good for the fans who paid their, their ticket to watch a good movement today. It's interesting, you know, listening to Ocon there, he's such a nice guy, isn't he? Yet when the visor comes down, he seems to 
grow horns and become comp- I mean, a bit like me when I go karting. He just seems <laughs> to he just seems to become really aggressive, doesn't he? Yes, yes. He's that kind of driver when he feels the when he feels the result, he goes there. I think that last two years with Fernando, he proved that he can be a, a top driver. Everybody was saying, oh, remember Stoffel Bandorn, who had won everything in the GP2 and before, and suddenly he faced Fernando and he's nothing. Esteban is, is just a strong driver, strong enough to even to score more points than Fernando in one season. Only I think only Jensen Button did it in the past. Yeah, so Fernando will claim the... Um unreliability card there, won't he? He's not lying, Fernando is, is right when he says that, but, but also a season is very long and, and Fernando was steady on his performance and most of the times he was if not in front of Fernando just one spot behind him that's something nice from him Great to see Joe Guan Yu back in the points uh, in the Alfa Romeo, I felt he drove a super race very aggressive and uh, he climbed through from 13th on the grid to 9th that's in that car especially when you look and see that Bottas came home in 19th I thought was certainly his best race of the season so far I feel a bit for for Joe because he's flying a bit under the radar it it seems like he's always there when the car is not there then he's outperforming Valtteri quite by a margin but this time the car was there in the race and he was there as well so hats off I think he showed it from time to time but not at the right moments so and this time it was the right moment and fantastic drive from him what do you think the mood is in Alfa Romeo at the minute because up and down the pit lane we're seeing teams signing top engineers McLaren have made a load of announcements we'll come on to McLaren in a minute yet it's all quite quiet at Alfa Romeo at the minute I wonder whether there's a sort of political reason for that in that obviously Audi are coming in and maybe they don't want to make too much noise while it's still called Alfa Romeo there may be a reason behind it but do you feel that the building blocks are there for them to be able to accelerate their development in the second half of this season? Actually I think there are two pretty different projects one is just a normal development program of the car the other one is building up or building the foundations for a future works team so um, from what I've heard it's just like that the team has to grow quite a lot to compete with with other big teams they are too small for that the development rate the last 12 months was a bit disappointing for me to be honest they started really really well into the new era but mainly because they had an advantage with the weight i don't want to take anything away because you had to reach the minimum weight it, it was a really difficult task as we know but when this advantage was gone yeah, they just look back at the second half of last year and the and the final in Abu Dhabi, what they had to do just to get um, P7 over the line, I think. Was it 6-7? They just tried to destroy Aston Martin's race in Abu Dhabi. That was the only chance they had. So that shows development rate last year was not great. They didn't make a huge step this year. So I think the long-term project, Audi, um, is, is a pretty big task. I don't want to say it's the reason why they are not good at the moment, but it shows you that they have to do quite a lot of work and that's also the reason why they are probably outdeveloped by some other competitors at the moment. I did want to touch on McLaren 
Lando Norris, third on the grid. Didn't last very long for him because of the front wing issue on, on Lewis's rear tyre. But having had such stunning pace in qualifying, and let's not forget that Oscar Piastri, his teammate, was faster than Lando through two of the th three sectors in qualifying until he made a mistake at turn 10. So that car was really quick in quali. Yet the race pace just was not there. Okay, I know Lando's race was ruined because he had to pit at the end of lap one. But even when he got going, he wasn't setting the world alight. How do you explain the difference between Saturday and Sunday with that car? That's a very interesting topic and one we were talking to Andrea um, about with Andrea Stella quite a lot this weekend and it was absolutely expected. Um, when you listen to Lando's and Oscar's comments yesterday after they got qualifying, Lando said, yeah, we're going to be lapped twice by Max, if I'm optimistic. So he was accelerating a bit uh, there, but Andrea Stella is probably the by far the best explainer here in the paddock. It's absolutely amazing to listen to him. Of course, um, team principal at McLaren, but formerly an engineer at Ferrari with Alonso, and then that he came to McLaren to, to front up the engineering team, didn't he? So he knows his eggs, as they yeah, say. Yeah, definitely. And he's not only very good in, in knowing the eggs, but also in explaining them to some, some nerds like us. And that's really good fun. That's almost uh, as much fun as watching the cars on track, listening to Andrea Stella. So what did he say to us yesterday? You want to know now. He said... On the Saturday, there were perfect conditions for McLaren. It was cold and they are pretty good in heating the tires up. So that was one point. Then there was no wind at all yesterday. And the McLaren is affected by wind pretty heavily compared to the other cars. Then new soft tire has quite a lo lot of grip that masks a lot of problems. That's one of the, the things why the Ferrari is so good in qualifying and bad in the race. Also, we were talking about the Alpine, the difference between qualifying and the race. A fresh tire with the extra grip uh, masks quite a lot. And then the type of corners, they are pretty good here for McLaren. High-speed corners, they are very good. Can I interrupt you here? Because Lando Norris came on this show uh, when we were in Miami and he told myself and Pedro de la Rosa the McLaren doesn't like long corners, he said. That was the question I asked Andrea yesterday. Well, there you go. Because I wanted to say to him, if I'd been there, Hang on, there's loads of long corners here. Turns three, four, five, ten. Last two corners are quite long. So that doesn't stack up. That's exactly the point um, I raised yesterday in, uh, in Andrea's media session. And what did and he then, say? So that was the next factor I wanted to mention. Um, he said the long cornerings here, they are super fast. They are almost no corners. They are like turn three, 270 kph or, or even faster then um, turn 14, 260 kph. So it's not such a long cornering time they spend there during qualifying. But then during the race, it's a different story. The car is a lot heavier. You don't have the grip from the tire. So the cornering gets a lot longer than in qualifying. That's one of the main reasons why they have this big difference between qualifying pace and race pace. Then he said also that the asphalt is pretty smooth here, not so many bumps, they can lower the ride high quite a bit, that's good for them. All factors that I just mentioned are contributing to the outstanding performance on Saturday, but then to the not so good performance on Sunday. So I guess they are looking forward to the upgrades that are coming to Austria. I think a few weeks ago or months ago, um, Andrea called it a B-spec. That, that's uh, quite a statement. Not even Mercedes is calling it a B-spec, not, but that, not is Ferrari. But that what's coming to Austria? 
I think so. If if I if I got him uh, right, then the beast back is coming to Austria. He said it's coming before the summer break. I'm looking forward to it. Jesus, what did you make of Lando Norris in particular this weekend? Uh, he was impressive on Saturday, like he he always is. He's a very fast driver on quali pace. We discovered that since his first season in Formula One. Then he he got bad luck in in the race. I don't think he would have been maybe not even at the points uh, with a normal race with with the fast cars that he had behind. But one time and another, he's always proving that that he's the driver we are all waiting for. But he's not finding the the right car to to show that every weekend. Right. Final thing I wanted to ask you guys about was the pace of Haas and the contrasting fortunes of their drivers. Nico Hülkenberg lining up seventh. Kevin Magnussen all the way back in 17th. That car looked very, very good in Hülkenberg's hands in qualifying, less so in the race. Were you surprised by the pace of Haas? Yes, especially on Friday and, and also Saturday. And it's not the first time that, that Nico shines in quali pace, but we shouldn't forget that Kevin got a pole last year. So it's a kind of intriguing car that you, you cannot really know what to expect from them. Now we know that getting points in Formula One is so complicated. There are four cars that maybe just all the time they will be there. You know, the Red Bull, Mercedes, Aston, Ferrari. This is eight spots. Today only seven because of Charles. But we're talking about maybe the last three places of the top ten. That's kind of hard for what you say, Haas, McLaren, Alpha Tauri, Williams. It's, it's kind of complicated. Formula One is, is becoming quite hard for the smaller teams uh, when now that we have uh, four big teams I would call four big teams one of them is Red Bull but the other three are quite big so the top 10 look like this Max Verstappen took win number 40 of his Formula One career and his second in Spain behind him Lewis Hamilton was second his 11th podium in Spain and George Russell rounded out the podium for his first trip to the podium since the Brazilian Grand Prix last year. Sergio Perez was fourth, having started 11th. Carlos Sainz was the lead Ferrari in fifth, with Lance Stroll sixth. Fernando Alonso seventh, his worst result of the season so far. Esteban Ocon was eighth. Joe Guanyu ninth, his best result of the season. And Pierre Gasly rounded out the top ten in tenth. In the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull Racing are dominating. They're 135 points ahead of Mercedes, who have jumped into second place ahead of Aston Martin in third. Ferrari are fourth on 100 points, Alpine are fifth on 40, with McLaren in no man's land in P6 on 17. Haas and Alfa Romeo are equal on eight points after Joe's two points for finishing ninth for Alfa Romeo. In ninth, it is Alfa Tauri on two points and Williams are still tenth with one point. In the Drivers' Championship, Max Verstappen now has a commanding 53-point advantage over his teammate Sergio Perez. Fernando Alonso is third, just 12 points ahead of Lewis Hamilton. George Russell is fifth, just seven points ahead of Carlos Sainz. Charles Leclerc is 7th on 42, having failed to score in the Spanish Grand Prix. Lance Stroll is 8th, Esteban Ocon 9th and Pierre Gasly is 10th. Well guys, before we go, can I ask you each for your driver of the day here at the 2023 Spanish Grand Prix? I think it's very easy. <laughs> the winner. 
the winner takes it all. But in this case, it's just like this. Max was a ten, a ten in at every at every part of the weekend. I asked him in the press conference. Uh, it was before the cameras were turned on. I said, Max, fastest in every practice session, fastest in qualifying, fastest lap in the race. You were in the race, and he went, Yeah, but I wasn't fastest in Q1. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's the only one who noticed that. Yeah. No, nobody else remembers that he hasn't been on top for once this this weekend. You're absolutely right. He has been sensational. Christian, what can I say other than Max Verstappen? And I think in Q1, for excuse, he only used one set of, of soft tires there. So and most of the others, I think, went for two fresh uh, softs. So he would definitely have been fastest in, in Q1 if he wanted, but there was no need to do so. If I wouldn't go for Max Verstappen, I would probably go for Cho today. I think it was an impressive drive from him, but you have to go with Max after this race. After this weekend, probably we will say exactly the same after the season. I agree with both of you. I think Max has been sensational. I think Joe has been sensational. I'm also going to give a nod. So I guess this is my driver of the day, partly to say something different, but I thought George Russell was sensational today to come from 12th on the grid to finish third and I said to him after the race at what point did a podium look real to you and he said actually during the first stint the car just was different to drive today and he really drove it well so I'm going to say George Russell guys thank you both very much for your time it's been fascinating to debrief the Spanish Grand Prix with you both and I'll see you in Canada thank you thank you see you in Montreal thank you very much Let's check in with our F1 fantasy team now. F1 Nation Racing. We kept the same lineup that we had for Monaco, so Verstappen, Alonso, Leclerc, Piastri and Tsunoda. With Ferrari and Aston Martin as our constructors, so not our strongest weekend, with three of our drivers outside the top 10. We scored 212 points and have now dropped down to 631st in the F1 Nation World Championship, so we've got to do something about that in the coming races. But the top three remains the same. The Dan Must Hold leads the way with 2,270 points. In P2, it's Fergal's Flyers on 2,214, and then just a point below them is Thunder Table Racing in third, so very close battle there. And remember, you can join our league at any time to compete against us and other listeners. Search for the F1 Nation World Championship, and if you're not playing yet, it's not too late to join. And it's totally free. Just search online for F1 Fantasy to sign up, then choose your constructors and drivers using a $100 million budget. Thanks very much for listening. Before I go, a quick preview of this week's F1 Beyond the Grid, which is with Neil Oatley, who designed five championship winning cars for McLaren between 1989 and 1999. I had a fascinating chat with him and that shows out from Wednesday. But that's it from us. We'll be back with F1 Nation next Monday with our preview of the Canadian Grand Prix. But for now, F1 Nation is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. <laughs>